Hello. Like you said, my name is Mia, and we'll be reading from Job. The first excerpt is Job 19, verses 23 through 27, and then the second one will be Job 42, verses 1 through 6. So I'll wait for you guys to get there real quick. (laughs) All right. Job 19, verses 23 through 27. I wish that my words were written down, that they were recorded on a scroll, or were inscribed in stone forever by an iron stylus and lead. But I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the end he will stand on the dust, even after my skin has been destroyed. Yet I will see God in my flesh. I will see him myself. My eyes will look at him, and not as a stranger. My heart longs within me. And then Job 42, verses 1 through 6. Then Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do anything and no plan of yours can be thwarted. You asked, who is this who conceals my counsel with ignorance? Surely I spoke about things I did not understand, things too wondrous for me to know. You said, listen now and I will speak. When I question you, you will inform me. I had heard reports about you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I reject my words and I'm sorry for them. I am dust and ashes. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Mia. Good morning, church. My name is Alex Sheets. I'm a college minister with The Table. And I get the pleasure of talking to you about suffering. (laughs) The wisdom in suffering. Um, Today we're talking about the wisdom in suffering and um, suffering is a, it's a topic that all of us have experienced. We all know uh, suffering on some level, whether personally or whether seeing it. Um, and I, I just want to say this at the beginning, that I don't hope to explain suffering, um, what's called a theodicy, to offer explanations for suffering. Um, my hope in this sermon is to look at the book of Job, look at a man who suffered so deeply and was considered wise and righteous, and see what kind of wisdom can we gain from that. So not to explain, but to learn from it, if that makes sense. I know that there's a lot of people um, in the room, a lot of people in this area, it's all over the place. Um, And we come from different places when it comes to suffering. Uh, Some of you guys might not be suffering at all, and that's great. You don't have to be suffering um, to, to listen to this sermon. Um, I want to encourage you in the words of Jesus that in these moments, we build our lives on the rock. We build a foundation of what are we going to do in the approach to it when it comes, when the, when the, when the rains come, how are we going to approach suffering um, when those come. Some of you... Uh, are suffering, and I just want to say to you that I believe that God does have a word for you in the midst of it, um, that if we are, are open, if we're willing to listen, that God speaks when his word is open. And so that's just what I want to open us up with. Um, let us pray, and then we're going to start, start going through this. Father God, thank you for another chance to come together as your church, as your people, and to uh, listen to your word. Um, God, thank you for uh, this topic, um, this topic of suffering, which is, it's close to a lot of people's lives. Um, Lord, I know that you are near. Um, I know that you know suffering personally. 
and that you have things to say to us in the midst of it. Um, God, I pray that you would teach us wisdom in how to approach suffering um, as, as wise and righteous people. Um, God, I pray that you're here. I pray that you speak. And I pray this in your name. Amen. I heard a sermon one time from the book of Job called Job, How God Treats His Friends. How God Treats His Friends. It's a very provocative title, if I can say so myself. And the title comes from church history. It comes from um, around 1500s, St. Teresa of Avila. She's a nun in, I think, Spain. And as the story goes, she, this nun, is riding her horse through a rainstorm. Not a very pleasant experience for those that have ridden motorcycles. She's riding a horse um, through a rainstorm, and she falls off the horse into a mud pile, okay? Wasn't four-wheel drive horse. And while she's in this mud pile, man, she, she just had it. Apparently, her life's been difficult. The monastery wasn't going her way. I don't know. Um, but while she's sitting in that mud pile, she just lets God have it in prayer, okay? We've all, well, I know I have, have said some prayers kind of like that. And she just lets God have it. She just says all the frustrations. She just vents it to the Lord. And she hears the Lord say this to her. Are you surprised? This is how I treat my friends. To which she responds, then I'm not surprised you don't have many friends. (laughs) I love it. I love the honesty. Saint of sarcasm. But the idea that we may see at the very beginning is that God might, just might, approach the idea of suffering in a very different way than we do, a very different way than humanity has. See, humanity has different approaches to suffering throughout history. We, we can't really decide on what's the right thing to do when it comes to suffering. Um, some of the things that we've we've had approaches to suffering is to just endure it, just endure suffering, just grit your teeth, just, just rub some dirt in it, you know, no emotions, no tears, just get through it, you'll be okay. That's called stoicism. I grew up in a stoic household, I understand, just, just go to your room and just grit your teeth, you know, just, just, just man up, you know, stoicism. Um, another approach is called well, I'll get to the calling it. It's called hedonism. Um, and that's to flee from it. You have an endure it, and you have to flee from it. That's called hedonism. And the idea with that is that life is one big party. Life's a party. It's all about pleasure. Who worries about the suffering stuff? Get all the suffering out of your way so that you can get to the real part of life, and that is to party. Party it up. I think our culture, American culture, for the most part, is, is hedonistic. We want as little suffering, there's nothing redemptive in suffering, just get it out of my life. We treat suffering kind of like we treat the IRS, you know? They're, they're the same thing at times, you know? Suffering and the IRS, they, they, they exist, they exist, I believe it, but they exist for other people. You know, and I'll interact with them once a year, just a little bit, but then they stay out of my life, you know. It's called hedonism. Life's a party. 
And a third approach is to over-spiritualize suffering. Over-spiritualize suffering. And I believe Christians are a little bit guilty of this approach. This is called asceticism. And the idea with this is that suffering is good all of the time. All of the time, suffering is good. That some, not just Christians, but other, other religions do this too, that if you're suffering, only then you are experiencing the fullness of God. Only then are you experiencing the fullness of God. And that's why some monks in church history, they would actually beat themselves because they wanted to experience suffering so that they could experience God. I think that is, in a theological word, silly. <laughs> we all have approaches to suffering. We all have approaches to suffering because all of us suffers. Everyone suffers. But not everyone suffers well. And so our question for today is how do the righteous and the wise, how do they suffer? And with that in mind, we're going to turn to the book of Job. You heard a little bit of this last week, but Job is a godly man. Job, when many people think of suffering, they think of Job because he's, he's a righteous sufferer. And Job is a godly man. In Job 31, if you just looked at the way that he lived his life, his life was incredible. Okay, he, was, his, he took care of the poor. He took care of the downtrodden. He lived his life outwardly for other people. Um, he lived his life not just outwardly, but he lived his life inwardly too. In Job 31, he says, I made a covenant with my eyes that I would not look lustfully at a young woman. He was a godly man. Not just a godly man, he was, he was a good dad too. Chapter one says that he would get up early regularly to offer sacrifices for each one of his kids just in case they might have offended God. They might have cursed God in his hearts. The idea is like he loved God so much and he loved his children so much that he was gonna honor God and, and just be a spiritual leader in the household. It was his regular occurrence. It's a good dad. It's a spiritual leader. It's the kind of dad that I would like to be. The phrase, a man of perfect integrity who fears God and turned away from evil is applied to him twice. And it's applied to him by the mouth of God. Okay, I know this is church and we're all like on different walks of life. Some of us are doing really good. Some of us are like saints. Some of us are doing not so good. You know, it's okay. I'm not gonna judge you from, from the stage. But I just wanna say this. If God is saying that about you, in front of the heavenly hosts, that this is a perf man of perfect integrity who fears the Lord and shuns evil. You're doing it right. <laughs> I'll get off the stage and you come preach. That was Job. He was a good man. He was a godly man. And important for this sermon, Job was wise. Job was wise. Job was old. 
Both Proverbs and Job, Job 11, say things like wisdom is found among the aged. Experience, he, he's seen it, he knows what life's about. Job is rich, very rich, he's worked hard, he's shrewd, he knows how life and business practice happens. And if you've been tracking the themes with Proverbs, he's wise because he is godly. If you remember the sermon way back in the beginning of the summer when Jim was giving it, Proverbs 1.7, it says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Job is a godly man. Job is the man that Proverbs is trying to get you to become. He's a good, godly, wise man. And this man suffered so deeply in a moment, in a moment. He's a righteous sufferer. He lost his family, his wealth, his health, all of his respect. He lost everything in a moment. And the worst part, the worst part of all that is he never heard answers as to why. He never heard why that happens to him. He just had questions. And his friends had questions. That's the book of Job. He suffers and his friends come and they start debating why is this happening. His friends come and they say, they, they internalize the blame. They say, Job, the problem is within you. Repent. If you repent, God will bless you. Kind of like health and wealth, prosperity gospel kind of thinking. They say the problem's within you. His wife comes, and you gotta give her a little bit of, of respect. You know, she's gone through a lot too. And she says, the problem is within God. Curse God and die. Two different approaches. Why is this happening? And in the midst of this, Job just wants two things. He wants to see God. You heard that today, chapter 19. He wants to see God. My heart yearns within me. And he wants to confront God. To confront God of injustice, of incompetence. Kind of like, can I, can I see the manager of this establishment? I'm not sure if you're running it right. He wants to confront God on how he's running the world. And the crazy thing is, chapter 38 through 41, God shows up. God shows up. And he does the exact opposite, the exact opposite of what you and I would do in this situation, the exact opposite, okay? He confronts Job. He says, who is this that darkens my counsel with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man and answer me if you can. Confronts him. He offers zero comfort. The God of all comfort in 2 Corinthians, no comfort at all to Job, and he gives him no answers. No answers. And he could have. He could have given Job an answer of some kind. Of some kind. He could have taken Job back to chapter one and said the whole heavenly scene that Satan was there accusing Job of not being a true believer, of only being in it for the stuff and not for God's own glory. He could have been like, Job, the other day, you know, Satan was there. You know, you know, Satan. Um, 
And he was talking, he was saying some really bad stuff about you. He was behind your back. And the angels, man, they were like, you're going to let him take that? You know, you're going to say that to your face, you know? And so I was like, well, okay, well, let's just see how it plays. He could have said anything. God could have said anything. And he doesn't do anything. He's silent. And here's the crazy part. It completely changes Job's life. Completely changes his life. So much that he says at the end of it, chapter 42, I reject my words. I've seen enough. I've heard enough. I spoke of things that were too, too far above me. I reject my words. With that in mind, with Job's story and his response, what can we learn about how the wise face suffering. I believe we can learn three things. That the wise acknowledge the reality of suffering, maintain a perspective of faith, and trust in the sovereignty of a good God. Acknowledge, maintain perspective, and trust. Let's walk through those. The wise acknowledge a reality of suffering. The idea is emotional honesty. And this is the South. Or the Midwest, I'm not really sure how you, uh, how you frame up Oklahoma. Depends on the perspective. And if I can say this, we're not emotionally honest people. If you need proof of that, um, just ask someone how their day is. How's your day going? Fine, fine, fine. Good, good, good. He's good. We're all good. We're all fine, you know? And then you ask them, you go a little bit further, how are you doing? Terrible. Utterly terrible. Whoa. You know, just a little jarring at times. I did this the other day. I went on a trip. How was your trip? Good, 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 good. Well, tell me about it. I would never go on that trip ever again in my life. <laughs> like, what's wrong with you? Nothing. I'm from Oklahoma. This is what we do. We chase tornadoes. I don't know. There's... There's a gap there somewhere. I think uh, we do that at least with each other. And I think in some level we do that with ourselves too when it comes to suffering. But wisdom, wisdom is emotionally honest. It helps you get in touch with reality. Look at Job's response to suffering after he lost everything. Job 1.20, it says he tore his clothes he shaved his head in mourning, highly, highly emotional. No running from it, no running from it, no just gritting down and enduring it. He mourned it. He mourned it. And then after mourning it, he worshiped and said these beautiful words Naked I came into this world, naked I left. The Lord has given, the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That is called emotional realism. He begins by acknowledging the reality and then he walks through it with clarity. This is so important. We have to acknowledge the reality of suffering. If it, we have to acknowledge the reality of just pain in general. You, you know how this works. If you have a broken bone, you have to like, take that to someone who can give you healing. And once it's set... Once uh, someone who knows how to heal has 
given it proper attention, then healing comes. If you never acknowledge the reality of it, then infection and worse things can happen. A pastor by the name of Randy Garris says this, only when we take our emotions to the Lord and to the Lord's people, only then will healing come. The wise acknowledge the reality of suffering with emotional realism. Which brings us to our second point. The wise maintain a perspective of faith in suffering, a perspective of faith. The idea of this is that you can see your past, present, and your future within a framework that is grounded in faith. If your life were a road, you have worked through past struggles You've processed them, you've taken them to the Lord and to the Lord's people, and you've seen the hand of God. You've seen how God's redemption works. Okay, that was point number one. In the present moment, you can't really see how God will bring about the future, what what he will do when it comes along, but you trust based on what God has done and based on his character that he will continue to work in, the, in your life. You maintain that perspective of faith based on who God is. You can see this in Job's story. God redeemed Job's suffering. Job has no idea, no idea why he's suffering and he never fully got the answers of it. Job couldn't see it, but he endured anyway. We, we can see it when we look at his story. We can see how God used Job's story in ways that Job could not even have fathomed, okay? Point being, we are talking about the book of Job right now, 5,000 years later. Job would never have known that his story, his endurance of faith would lead people for thousands of years to look to him and see what God can do in his life. Thousands of years. People have looked to Job and said, if God can bring this man, this man through intense struggling, through despair with no answers, if he can redeem that story, then he can redeem mine too. If God can bring him through it, then he can bring me and he can bring you through it as well. Parents, I know that, at least I I have heard, that parenting is a struggle. And I know right now you can't fully see in the future what will come as the students, as your kids grow. All you see right now is the struggle. These kids, man, they just want, they just want to be on TikTok and, and they just want to play Fortnite and they wear pajamas to school and I don't get it. I don't get it. You don't see what's going to happen. You just see the moment. But if I can encourage you to just continue to lead in your family with faith and trusting that God will take care of the future, you, you have no idea 10 years down the line your kids, your kids may not even be Christian anymore, but they will look to these moments 
to the standard that you set, they will say, my dad sacrificed. My dad led for Jesus. My mom prayed for us every day and prays still. They might not even believe in prayer, but they will know that your mom still prays and that'll make a difference. Lead and trust the Lord for what comes. Maintain that perspective of faith. Pastors, because I know there's a lot of pastors in the room, I know the, the struggles, I know, the, I know the struggles as we are chasing these, these kiddos around creation, as we're throwing gospel seed in, I know we, we sacrifice sanity, I know we sacrifice time, we sacrifice a lot, and we don't see the fruit. But if I could just encourage you to maintain the faith, to keep that perspective for the down the line, the 10 years for that one kid, that one kid who may come to the gospel because of what you're doing. They will look to you and say, I follow Jesus. I follow Jesus like I, my pastor follows Jesus. And that will make it worth it. That will make it worth it. You can't see then. All you see is now. But keep that faith. Keep that faith. Because God will honor the gospel sacrifice. And my youth quake guys, my high school, you guys' culture is crazy, if I can just say it. And you guys are all over the place, you know. Some of you guys are going to college. Some of you guys are going to, I think, freshman year. I don't even know how old you guys are. Um, you guys' lives are all over the place. And if this culture is anything like it was in mine, I know that following Jesus is just as lame as it was back in my day. You know? I get it. I don't want to give you a perspective of faith. I'd like to just give you mine. I want to tell you my story a little bit. When I was in high school and middle school, I, uh, I had zero friends. Zero friends. I know it's kind of surprising because I'm really, really fun. Okay. <laughs> but I had zero friends because my friends, they followed the world. They wanted the party lifestyle and they wanted the drinking and, and everything that goes with it. You can use your imagination. And I, I chose Jesus. And I had, I had zero friends. And I was so angry at God. I was angry. Man, I remember praying to the Lord like freshman year. I was like, if this is what Christianity was, if this is what Christianity is, I don't think I would have signed up for it. I was angry. I felt betrayed by the Lord. But if I can just encourage you, 10 years later, the perspective that I have seen, if I could go back 10 years, I would not change a single thing. I wouldn't wear pajamas to high school anymore, okay? <laughs> We're praying for a change in some of your guys' lives, okay? <laughs> but on the righteous living, I would not have changed it because 10 years down the line, the perspective that I have seen on what God has worked in that pain, I can see this, that the righteous life, the righteous life is a life worth living at any cost. At whatever suffering that has to be endured, righteousness is worth it. Let that 
be your why. Viktor Frankl, a Holocaust survivor who knows a thing or two about suffering, if I can say that, he says, if you give a man a why, he can endure any how. Is Jesus Christ and the glory of God your why? Because if he's your why, then nothing that happens or doesn't happen, it doesn't matter because you have Jesus. Maintain that perspective of faith in a crazy, crazy culture. Point number two. And point number three, the wise trust in God's good sovereignty, especially in suffering. In suffering, we are all tempted to give up on some things. You've all been a college freshman in some sense, or we've all heard the struggle that if God's good, if God's powerful, and if God's wise, then there can't be suffering in the world, that God can't be all three of those things. We, we've all heard of this. Um, I believe that's a very strong temptation in the midst of suffering, but I believe that the temptation is not, is not really all three. I believe for most of us, the temptation is simply on the good piece. We really struggle to see if God is, is good, if God is really good in the midst of my suffering. Does God care? Is God for me? Because I don't really experience the goodness of God right now. And the temptation is to give up, to loosen our grip on some of those things because we believe that might help us in some way. But if I can just say this, we don't need a smaller view of the Lord in the midst of suffering. We need a bigger view of the Lord than we've ever imagined in the midst of suffering. And that's what happened to Job. Job 19, he says, I know that my Redeemer lives and I long to see him. I long to see him. Job 42, he says, my eyes have seen you and I repent, I reject everything. What changed in that moment? What changed from 19 to 42? It wasn't his suffering. Nothing changed in his suffering. Nothing was eased in his burden. Job saw God. He saw God and he heard in a confrontation by God. He heard just who God was. He saw his character. He saw God's absolute sovereignty. He saw that God commands the morning new every single day. I command the sun to rise. God said that the lightning bolts come to him and report for duty like they were soldiers. He said that I tell the sea where to stop. I say thus far and no farther. farther. Absolute sovereignty. And not just absolute sovereignty, he saw that God was so very close to his creation. That I lie down in the grass with the deer on the mountainside as they give birth. And I watch their children grow up and go off to the mountainside. That God hunts the prey with young lions in Africa. That he's there with them. 
that the children of the crows, they cry out to God and God answers them. He's so close to his creation too. Job suffering did not change. His suffering did not become easier. His God became so much bigger. And that got him through it. We need to trust in this. That God is not a fool. That he knows what he's doing. That there is no wasted suffering in the hands of the Lord. Now I say this to you guys. And I just have to admit from the stage that I have trust issues. I got trust issues, man. I I get it. Um, I think I got it from my dad. Don't trust anyone in life, you know. You got to look at the skeptical eye, you know. Don't even trust my, don't even trust dad, you know. Just skeptical. I got so many trust issues that like, if I I go to like a a Taco Bell, you know. If I go to Taco Bell, I get a taco, I get, uh, get some rumbly tummy, you know. Cut it out of my life, you know. I go to Taco Bueno for the rest of the time. Unless Taco Bueno betrays my trust and then no tacos in Stillwater anymore, you know. Got trust issues. I get it. Because I believe, rightly or wrongly, that trust is something that is earned and trust is something that can be lost. I don't even know if that's right or wrong. I just, it's a belief that I have. Can we trust God? Can we trust God with the best part of our lives and the worst part of our lives? Has he earned that? Is he trustworthy? I believe that the answer is fundamentally yes. Fundamentally yes. Because there was a second sufferer like Job which Job cannot see, but we can see. Person that this time was truly righteous, who lived his life completely for the poor, completely for the marginalized. He would go and build up the lost and downtrodden. This person suffered farther than anyone else in his life, went so far that people looked at him and said, you are cursed by God, cursed by God. This person cried out on the cross, asking God, where have you gone? And he received silence from heaven, no answers. And this person was Jesus Christ, and it was God in the flesh. Why do I believe that I can trust God with my suffering? Because God has suffered. He knows what it's like, and he has suffered for me. He has proven it. He is not a God that's in the distance, that's too high in the heavens to care. He is someone that's entered into our pain and it's taken it on ourself. He has proven his trustworthiness to me. Romans 5.8 says this, but God proves, demonstrates, has written it out for us. He proves his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us the true sufferer. I hope that in the midst of your suffering, whether it is now or it's down the line, that you will remember Jesus, the greater Job, and his mentality towards suffering. 
1 Peter 3 says this, when they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. And we get to see what God brought about through the cross. God redeems suffering in ways that we cannot imagine. My brothers and sisters, there will be mountaintops and there will be valleys in life. I hope you remember this, that the wise trust God in all of it because God is trustworthy. As we move into a time of communion, I want to remember this, that this moment that we are about to participate in is what the suffering of Jesus led up to. That Jesus suffered so that we, church, might become one. We might be unified. And we might have life and life with him abundantly. I pray that you remember that today as we take the bread. As we drink the cup.